Would you love to feel differently and think differently about stress, but you're just really afraid you'd be deluding yourself? Today, I'm going to introduce you to some of the latest research on the topic of stress and mindset, as well as some resources for more information. I'm going to share with you five steps to changing your mindset in a simple and actionable way, specifically your stress mindset, though this will work with any topic. And I want to mention too, those fears you have about deluding yourself, we're going to talk about why it's totally fine to keep those hanging around and why trying to get rid of them, in fact, might actually be fanning the flames. Welcome to Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast with Stephanie Lee. On this show, we're going to talk about what it means to be a late Gen X or early millennial woman dipping her toes into midlife. I'm talking specifically to the woman who sees this stage of life as an opportunity to reflect on her life to date and to begin the second half with intentionality and purposefulness, whatever that means to her. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie. And I really want to thank those of you that have rated and reviewed the show. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. I have listened to podcasts on Overcast for forever and never taken the time to go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. It was just too much trouble, and that wasn't the app I listened on. Now I'm eating my words, folks. I'm actually going back now and starting to rate the podcast I've listened to and benefited from in the past. I don't know, maybe eight years worth of podcasts. They're such a great medium to get timely, fresh content. And there are just so many smart people out there sharing great stuff. To keep myself accountable, I will tell you that I have rated and reviewed the Life Coach School podcast and Happier with Gretchen Rubin. I'll keep you posted on the podcasts that I rate and review, because if you like this one, you may like those as well. And if you're enjoying this podcast and think it would be beneficial to others, please do take a minute to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Ratings and reviews are the way that people who are outside of my orbit find out about the show. Then it'll come up to them as suggestions within their app. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. So as we get started today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what's going on in my life. My day job is one that requires some travel. It feels like a lot of travel, but I know consultants and interact with them and know that there are a lot of people who travel every week of the year and it's nothing like that. But to me, it feels like a lot of travel and that travel will be kicking up again in the fall. It's more in the fall and the spring and a little less during the summer. And I'm a homebody. I always have been. And so there's a part of me that sort of sees the travel coming and begins to get a sense of dread. But then there's another part of me who knows that when I'm actually out on the road and interacting with the people that I do, I really enjoy it. I find it rewarding and enriching. But it's so interesting, right? How my mind goes to, oh no, so much travel. Instead of going to, wow, I'm looking forward to being back on the road again. 
And it's easy for me to see my mind doing that and kind of think, shame on me. I need to suck it up and not be worried about this. This is what I signed up for. Or to think I need to put on my coach hat and tell myself I know this way of thinking isn't helping me. But you know what? Neither of those approaches will actually help me move forward at all. In fact, when we judge ourselves, instead of it being the impetus to change that we think it will be, self-judgment or just being hard on yourself actually makes it so much harder for us to change. Instead, what I want to remind myself of when my mind starts churning and dreading about being back on the road is this. You have a human brain with a negativity bias. It is, of course, offering you the reasons why travel isn't fun. This is reflexive, and it doesn't actually have to mean anything. I don't have to believe the fact that I'm having these thoughts actually means that it's too much travel, or that I need to do anything about it, or with it. I can recognize that my brain kind of kicks up these thoughts just because it's what brains do. This negative part of my brain that's a little bit more primitive and worried, I've called her Wilma Flintstone in the past. I can also be on to myself. I can be a little wiser than the part of me that's kicking all of this up as resistance and say, you know, I know, honey, it's okay. You're going to be fine. And you know what? Remember how much you enjoy the people, the locations, the conversations. Remember how energizing it feels to operate in your area of expertise and to coach and to shepherd others through their work. I can remind myself of the things that I want to be thinking intentionally. And there's no benefit to making the so-called negative thoughts go away. It actually just adds fuel to the fire. But I can gently redirect my mind to other things that I want to remember as well. In coaching, I refer to this as a yes and strategy, and I use it all the time. You may recognize yes and from improv training. They're doing improv classes now everywhere for professional development and team building. And I actually love to do that sometime. But apparently, if you're in an improv skit and your partner's talking to you and they say, oh, I hear you went to the zoo yesterday. Instead of saying, what? No, I didn't go to the zoo, which would kind of shut your skit down. You say, yes, and I saw the strangest giraffe you could imagine. The no, I didn't just sort of stops the conversation, makes it hard to move forward. So similarly, I can acknowledge that I have thoughts about travel and being away from home and how tired I might be. That's sort of the yes And I also get to see lots of interesting places and engage with different people and make a contribution for my area of expertise. That's the and. It's so easy for us to get stuck in the initial thoughts that come up. We tend to think those are the real thoughts, the ones that really mean something. If I have to remind myself to think something, it's not really true, true. It's not authentic. And I'm here to tell you that's bunk. But something else I want to tell you is that when we try to push away thoughts that we don't like or that we think don't serve us, we do often get mired down in them. By trying to push them away, it's like shoving a big beach ball underwater with both of your hands. You can't hold it there forever. It's going to come back up with some force and it'll probably hit you in the face. Instead, just let the beach ball of unproductive thoughts be there. 
it'll drift away while you're busy saying yes and. Last week, we continued our discussion of how to turn burnout into resilience by taking a look at your mindset about stress. Because burnout, stress, and fatigue are such considerable barriers to so many of us figuring out what we want to do with the rest of our lives, much less actually moving on, we're going to take these first few episodes of Not Your Mama's Midlife podcast to examine how we might turn burnout into resilience. And we're going to do that by changing the mindset that we have about stress, intentionally interspersing stress with rest and recovery, and by purposefully soaking in these experiences to leverage neuroplasticity. So last week, we got started on step one, changing the mindset we have about stress. We took a look at how you can use metacognition to become aware of your mindsets and examine them. And we talked about what mindsets are and where they come from. And then specifically, I asked you to do some work to uncover your own mindset about stress. The thoughts you think, mostly on autopilot and mostly absorbed and acquired unintentionally about stress. And I'm hoping that I whetted your appetite with the study that transformed Kelly McGonigal, a Stanford health psychologist's ideas about stress, and eventually led her to write The Upside of Stress. This 1998 study asked 30,000 American adults how much stress they had been under in the past year and whether they believed that stress was harmful to them. Eight years later, the researchers used public records to determine which of the study participants had died. Those that reported high levels of stress and they believed that stress was harmful, they had an increased risk of dying of 43%. But those that reported high levels of stress but didn't believe that it was harmful to their health fared better in the study than even those who reported low levels of stress. I asked you to give some thought to what on earth might be going on here. So on this week's episode, I want to do two things. I want to share with you a bit of the research about stress and mindset. I'm going to give you a taste, and then I'm going to refer you to additional podcasts and resources if this is your thing. There are some great podcasts being produced now by scientists and scientist-adjacent types where they're doing a deep dive into the literature and essentially bringing practical applications of what they're learning in research to people in order to enrich their lives. I'm going to refer you to those if you'd like more information, but I do want to plant some seeds for you about the research evidence for the impact of your mindset beyond what you might simply experience from trying the strategies that I or others might suggest to you. Secondly, I want to walk you through a five-step process to change your mindset. And I'm going to tell you right at the outset that it's not about swapping out your current mindset about stress with a new one. It's actually a lot like the yes and that I talked about in the introduction. Now that we're in agreement that it's possible to think about stress in more than one way, as more than just a danger or a hazard to your health, what might we do purposefully to open our minds up to that? So let's dive in. In her book, The Upside of Stress, Kelly McGonigal provides an overview of a number of studies several of which were conducted by Aliyah Crum and her colleagues at Stanford's University Mind and Body Lab. 
Aaliyah Crum and colleagues designed a study where subjects participated in a mock job interview. The interviewers were coached to give harsh feedback to these people right in the moment. They criticized the way that they spoke, their posture, their level of eye contact, even their answers to tricky and loaded questions. Essentially, the mock interview was designed to be a stressful experience to elicit a stress response that Crum and her colleagues could then measure. So prior to participating in the interview, participants watched one of two videos about stress. Both were only three minutes long and both were based on research about stress. So neither group was being given misinformation. One of the videos told participants that stress could actually enhance their well-being, improve their performance and help them to grow. But the video watched by the second group told them that the effects of stress on their health and performance was actually even worse than they thought. Both of these videos, if you're interested, are publicly available on the Mind Body Lab website. And as I said, both are true. Neither group of participants was deceived or sold a story. A saliva test following the mock interview tested participants' levels of cortisol and DHEA, both of which are released by adrenal glands during stressful situations. Cortisol improves the usage of sugar and fat for energy and suppresses non-essential functions in an emergency, so like digestion, reproduction. We hear a lot today about the presence of cortisol in our body and how damaging it is over time. DHA, on the other hand, is a neurosteroid that aids in brain growth. It's a hormone, and it literally helps your brain grow, speeds up wound healing, and enhances immune function. It can mitigate some of the damaging effects of cortisol. Both DHEA and cortisol will be produced in a stressful situation, and the ratio at which they're produced, the ratio of cortisol to DHEA, is referred to as a growth index. A higher growth index or more DHEA is linked to better outcomes following stress, greater problem-solving ability, more focus, and fewer PTSD symptoms. Following the mock interview, all participants' cortisol levels were increased by basically the same amount. However, the DHEA levels in the two groups were significantly different. Those participants who had watched just a three-minute video on the benefits of stress had more DHEA than those who had watched a video telling them about the deleterious effects of stress. So information that the participants were exposed to prior to the stressful experience and what the participants likely expected the impact of the experience to be resulted in different levels of hormone secretion from the adrenal glands, which impacted the actual physiological effect of stress on the participants' bodies. This is amazing to me. Most of us have a pretty deeply entrenched view that stress is dangerous or harmful, or it's at least bad in some way. Even so, exposure to just a three-minute video suggesting a different perspective not months of rigorous evaluation of the research or of re-engineering one's own mindset, appears to have created a difference in the level of DHEA secreted. So it didn't impact just what they were thinking or their perspective about the experience. It changed the way that their bodies responded. 
Even if I accept that the participant's mindset changes made the experience of stress less bad for them, it's still a far cry, right, from believing the experience could grow them in some way. Something similar I can kind of get my head around, thinking about stress contributing to growth, is the idea of the stress that an athlete intentionally puts their body through. We talked about this a couple episodes in the context of my own Bikram yoga practice or weight training. The stress, the strain, the effort, the actual exercise is the catalyst for the growth of muscle or the development of fitness. So I can see that with physical exercise. But is it actually true with what we think of as stress, which is usually cognitive or emotional in some way? It's not at all the same thing, right? So there's also research that shows that stress can be protective. Karen Parker is a Stanford biopsychologist who studies the effects of early life stress on humans and squirrel monkeys. In her research, she separates squirrel monkey babies from their mothers for one hour a day. Later, when those monkeys are compared to those that were not separated from their mothers, the separated monkeys were less anxious and more curious about new experiences. As they got older, they exhibited more self-control than the monkeys who were not separated from their mothers. The separated monkeys were later tested, and they had larger prefrontal cortexes, specifically in regions that control impulse, motivation, and fear. It appears that exposure to measured amounts of stress actually enabled the young monkeys to develop more resilience. So if stress isn't actually dangerous and can in fact be in some ways maybe helpful to us, how did stress get such a bad rap anyway? Stress was initially identified in 1936 by Hans Seely a Hungarian endocrinologist who'd previously had a medical practice. He was conducting research on caged rats by injecting them with hormones from cows and then comparing it to the outcomes of rats who were injected with a saline solution and another hormone solution. All of the rats, regardless of the substance with which they were injected, developed bleeding ulcers, enlarged adrenal glands, and organs associated with their immune systems dried up. Ultimately, they died. Seeley recognized that it wasn't the solution that he was injecting them with, but the injection itself that was causing the response. And he went on to be able to mimic that response with exposure to extreme heat or cold, unrelenting loud noise, forcing them to exercise to the point of death, giving them toxins, and partially severing their spinal cords. This Research reminded Seeley of the patients he had seen in his medical practice, and he theorized that what he saw in the rats and what he saw in his patients was the cumulative effect of life's demands wearing down the body. So he went on to define stress as anything that required an adaptive response from the body. And he published and spoke extensively on stress and the dangers of stress, including before the U.S. Congress. His generalized definition didn't distinguish between the nature of stress that he created for rats and other types of stress. The stress the rats was under was extreme and pretty horrific, if you try to imagine the equivalent from a human perspective. And yet it wasn't distinguished from the stress of a demanding job 
or financial worries, or juggling household chores. Later in his life, Seeley would say, there is always stress, so the only point is to make sure it is useful to yourself and useful to others. But by that point, the story of stress, the story of the story of stress had already taken hold and all kinds of stress were essentially the boogeyman. McGonagall suggests that stress itself is not all one thing, and we do not have a one-size-fits-all stress response. In response to stress, in addition to the fight-or-flight response, we can exhibit a challenge response and a tend-and-befriend response that produce different hormonal and cardiovascular responses in our bodies. A challenge response increases confidence, motivation, and learning, whereas a tend-and-befriend response increases courage and caregiving tendencies. When your survival is not on the line, as it was for Seeley's rats, you have a similar physiological response to what we think of as stress, but the increased heart rate provides energy, focus, and stamina. DHEA is higher, which we already talked about, increases our ability to learn from stress. McGonagall suggests that the absence of stress as a threat is necessary to have this challenge response to stress. Thinking back to the 1998 survey of people who reported both high stress and that stress was harmful to them, they clearly saw stress as a threat to their well-being. Stuhlberg and Magnus are the authors of Peak Performance. They suggest, after their work profiling high performers across a variety of domains, including athletics, business, as well as chess and tai chi, that the formula for growth is cycling through stress and rest. I would suggest that it's this kind of stress, the challenge response to stress that puts us in a place where we are receptive to learning and energized. People who report being in a flow state, from artists to surgeons, they don't report being physiologically calm, but energized. Stuhlberg and Magnus in the book Peak Performance coined the term growth equation, where growth equals stress plus rest, going so far as to say, without the stimulus of stress, you can rest all you want and there won't be growth. So if you're open to the idea that stress could be enhancing, how can you change your mindset about stress? The good news is that if you are following along with this podcast, you're already well on the way to changing your mindset about stress. The first step to change your mindset is simply to become aware of your current mindset. As a reminder from last week's episode, you did this just by jotting down your thoughts about stress in a thought download. You take a minute and you sort of turn off the well-mannered sensor in your brain and you just write down all of the things that come up when you think about stress. Be flexible with the language that you use. You might use other language to describe stress, such as burnout, overwhelm, pressure, or even busyness. You can also imagine a particular stressful situation. Get into your mind and pull up what you were likely to be thinking at the time. Another approach is to listen in on the things that you say to others about your life and the pressure or stress you're under, 
or the things that you say to a friend when he or she's in a stressful situation. When you've done this, using the metacognitive strategy we discussed in the last show, take a dispassionate look at your thoughts and notice what the results of them are. How do you feel when you think these thoughts? How do you show up in your actions and behaviors when you feel that way? What results do those actions create? Just by creating awareness of our mindset, it is so much easier not to react or respond in the way that we do when it's operating outside of our conscious awareness. The second step to changing your mindset about stress is to be open to and learn new information, such as what I'm presenting here. I've shared a different way of thinking about stress, as well as some research from Aliyah Crum and others that paints a very different view of stress. Rather than being dogmatic about what you've believed to date, you're simply going to be open to the possibility of something different. You don't have to buy in whole hog. You're just open to the possibility. Remember the study about the job interviews where participants watched the brief videos about the impact of stress. These were basically just suggestions. The people didn't have time to really think about whether or not they believed what they were hearing or to test it out in their lives. They certainly didn't spend any time changing what is likely a deeply held belief about how harmful stress is. And yet there appears to have been an impact from the three minute exposure to the videos. The third step is to be willing to allow your existing mindset or thoughts to stay around even if you think they're negative. We're not attempting to get rid of years of enculturation or ways of thinking or doubts that you might have about any of the research we've talked about. It's fine for those thoughts to stay around. They don't have to be banished when you're working to change your mindset. As I talked about, trying to get rid of them can actually act like pouring gasoline on them and lighting a match. Step four is new. You're going to set your brain on a path to collect data supporting a different perspective by looking at your previous experiences with a new lens. Begin thinking through your memories for times when you have learned from or been stretched in a beneficial way by a stressful situation and begin making note of those. I suggest doing this on paper or electronically, not just in your head so that you have it to refer back to. And because it also gives you opportunity, as we talked about before, to act as the observer of your own thinking. Write about a time when stress focused you, acted as a motivator when it spurred you on to take important action or show up in a way that you were proud of. It also gives you something to look back at intentionally when you get caught up in negative thoughts about the stress that you're under, very automatically. You can intentionally remind yourself of times when stress served you or was beneficial. Step five, is to try on a new mindset moving forward. Try it on like you're slipping on a coat in a dressing room. Does it fit? Does it work for you? Does it complete your look? Try thinking of stress as potentially beneficial and look for ways that it might be and make note. I told you a couple of episodes ago about when I tried this recently giving a presentation. I have been known to describe myself as a nervous presenter. When I felt my physiology changing before my talk, feeling kind of hyped up, 
that sort of vibrating, anxious feeling. I was breathing more shallowly. My heart was beginning to race. Instead of trying to tamp down the anxiety, which is what I normally would have done, I envisioned sort of riding the wave instead. I told myself I was excited to share useful information that was going to help these folks accomplish their task. I was both more comfortable during my talks and felt like I recovered back to normal more quickly afterwards. And actually, as I think back on this now with a little bit more clarity, I'm realizing, so I gave the same presentation back to back and it was PowerPoint. And so if you've used PowerPoint, you know that when you plug it in or when you plug it into the presentation, whatever, HDMI, it goes to presenter mode. And then you have the ability to see both the slides on your screen as well as your notes and your audience only sees the slides. I always present with notes. I was actually playing a little fast and loose by just having my notes available in the presenter view. And wouldn't you know it, during the second presentation, my notes didn't come up. Both the view for the audience of the slides and my view were the same. I simply spoke off the cuff. I truly am not sure that I could have done that if I had been up in my head about being a nervous presenter. Instead, I thought, well, I know this stuff, I can just talk about it. And I got started. So as I think about it, that change of mindset actually served me even better than I thought. And to tell you the truth, it wasn't like I was bought in. I was just simply testing it. I was test driving a new perspective and it worked out. So in step five, I'm suggesting that you test drive or try on a new mindset about stress. Experiment with it. In our next episode, I'm going to talk to you about how we can operationalize seeing stress as beneficial by essentially building ourselves a training plan to cycle through stress and rest to build resilience. I'm going to suggest that you try it along with me and watch and see how it works for you. And one of the important things about these five steps I've just shared with you is that you don't actually have to do all of them and you don't have to do them in order if you do. In fact, maybe they're more accurately described as sort of principles of changing your mindset rather than progressive steps. I do feel like a bit of a caveat is needed with this discussion. Changing your mindset about stress is not about bypassing feeling bad. It's not about putting a positive spin on a bad situation, nor is it an endorsement of sort of the good vibes only toxic positivity that we're seeing on being tossed about on social media. The full human experience includes feeling bad. The full human experience includes all of the negative emotions. It's not that we would wish those away or skip over them or even try to abbreviate those experiences, though they're uncomfortable and we'd all like to do that. But when we bypass the hard parts, we miss out on any of the learning, growth, or development, or strength that we could experience during the hard times. The point of changing your mindset about stress is to realize that adversity, the pain, the hard part, whether large or small, can be an opportunity to grow and become stronger. It can be an opportunity to learn, to find meaning, and to connect with other people. Now, we don't seek out adversity so that we can grow. 
It'll find us, no worries. But we know that growth is possible, even in the wake of adversity, and we open ourselves up to that. It also bears mention that recognizing that you might grow and become stronger from adversity, even wanting to do so, does not in any way diminish the importance of the stressful experience or make it okay. A conversation between Aaliyah Crum and Kelly McGonigal is captured in McGonigal's book. Crum speculates that the most powerful view of stress is one that is flexible, where you can see both the upside and the downside of stress and ultimately choose to pursue the upside without pretending the downside doesn't exist. We're not shoving our fingers in our ears and making it go away. We're holding two contrasting truths simultaneously. I promise to share some great resources with you, and there will be links to all of this in the show notes, of course. If the topic interests you, this is really great stuff. Kelly McGonigal's powerful and funny TED Talk is great, and it gives a great overview of these concepts. It's really compelling. It's a quick take if you're not interested in the book. The book, though, is also very good. The Upside of Stress is a deep look into stress and the power of mindset. So if you're interested in mindset generally beyond the scope of stress, it's also very good from that perspective. I'm on a second read of it, as a matter of fact. I also heard an excellent interview with Aaliyah Crum talking about her own research on stress and mindset on the Huberman Lab podcast, and I'll provide you with a link. She is the principal investigator of the Mind and Body Lab at Stanford, where you can find full texts of the studies that we talked about. She also makes available the Stress Mindset Measure Inventory, which they developed and they use to shape their stress mindset studies. She's currently engaged in a study on the mindset of mindsets, and I'm very excited about that, as you can imagine. And one more, Stuhlberg and Magnus wrote Peak Performance, which we'll talk about a little bit more next week, actually, profiling high performance across sectors. All of those great resources. Check them out. We'll recap a little bit. So we spent this week talking about changing our mindset about stress. I gave you a taste of some of the research about stress and mindset that suggests that stress has the opportunity to grow us. It can elicit a challenge response that may be active in what we think of as flow, and that stress could actually help us to develop resilience. And then I presented you with five steps or principles, as I said, to change your mindset about stress. You wanna become aware of your current mindset. You wanna be open to learning new information. You wanna be willing to allow your existing mindset or thoughts to stay around, even if you think they're negative. And you want to set your brain on a path to collect new information for you. And then you want to test it. Try it on. Lastly, I reminded us that seeing an upside to stress doesn't mean that we get to skip over bad feelings, pain, overwhelm, or other things that cause us stress. We have to be willing to be with the pain, but we can also use it. This is the first step in a three-step process to help us turn burnout into resilience. And the expectation is that by taking the edge off of burnout, we might get you a little relief now to start thinking more clearly. This may help you find more joy and enjoyment in your life and of your life today. 
It may also help you free up some mental energy and space to devote some time to thinking about what you want and what's important for you in the second half of your life. So as we wrap up, I would ask you to consider what small wins are available for you with this knowledge about the upside of stress and the means to change your stress mindset. For me, I'm going to notice when I feel like my body is stressed. And instead of trying to tamp it down, I'm going to ride that wave and see if I can leverage it to accomplish more. Consider it a mobilization of my resources rather than evidence that I'm anxious or stressed. But now, even if you open yourself up to the idea that stress is a good thing, you still need rest. One of the ways that Seeley tortured those rats was to force them to exercise, which I believe he did by putting them in water to the point of drowning. To continue with our illustration of a weightlifter, they know that the curls that they are doing are building muscle, and they might even be energized and excited and want to do more. They're not worried at all that they're going to be hurt or threatened by lifting heavy things. And still, they deliberately rest between sets. Strength is built in the rest. And they rest, you'll notice, between sets. And then, of course, they rest by going to bed and getting sleep where those muscles are repaired. So in our next episode, we're going to talk about cycling through stress and rest, both by looking at how we might optimize or get the most out of our stress through engaging in focused work, and by looking at how we rest and what we do to recover. So go to stephanieleecoaching.com forward slash episode seven and find not only the show notes for this episode, but a link to a worksheet with some questions that you could use to apply what we've talked about in your own life. That is stephanieleecoaching.com episode seven. The link is also in the description of whatever app you're listening to or watching in. Thank you for sticking with me through the seventh episode of Not Your Mama's Midlife Podcast. I do hope that you're going to join me back here, back on your favorite podcast player or YouTube. Wherever you listen, please do like and subscribe. Tell your friends. And if you're enjoying it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcast. It really does help others to find the show. Have a great week. And I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Bye.